0: You know, as we've gone through this book of Acts, I think when Paul gets to the end, you know, Paul's kind of the main character at the end of this book. When he gets to the end of this journey, I think if you were to walk up to him and say, Paul, how did you do this? How did you make it through all the attempted beatings, the actual beatings, the attempted stonings, the imprisonments, the shipwrecks, everything? How did you do it? And he would say, I didn't do it. It was in Christ alone. There's no way I could have survived that without him. And so uh love it that we just ended our worship this morning on that song. You know, uh, as we come to the end of our journey through the book of Acts this morning, we're going to be in the last couple chapters. Uh, that's really what it's been, is it's been a journey. And if you think about the book of Acts in itself, it's been, a, it is a journey. It describes the journey of how Jesus, upon his ascension into heaven, gave his disciples a mission. Uh, and he uh, leaves it to them, and then the gospel journeys forward. It goes with his people through the church. Um, you know, this week, many of you are going to be traveling on a journey. Uh, going to see family for holidays. Maybe you have some family who's traveling to see you. Uh, and you know, on every journey, it seems like without fail for us, like when we're on a, on a car trip, uh, something goes wrong, right? The air conditioner quits on the car. Maybe you don't have to worry about that this time of year, but we did back in June when we were traveling. You get a flat tire. Uh, you run out of gas. Something inevitably goes wrong. And yet God says, with you in the journey, whether things seem right or seem wrong, I am with you and I want to go with you. And I think that's what we see in the book of Acts, that as the gospel has journeyed forward, he has been with his people and with his church all the way back in the early church and right here today at Trinity Church. So what is this journey? I want us to rewind and go back to the very first verses of the book of Acts, okay? Acts 1, 1 and 2. This is the opening lines of the book. It says this, in the first book, this is Luke who's speaking Luke says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. I love that phrase, all that he had began to do and teach, because the book of Acts is all these actions and amazing things that God continues to do, even though Jesus has now gone up into heaven, he continues to do them through his people and through his church. And so we see that continuing. I want to fast forward all the way to the end of the book of Acts, all right? These are the last two verses in the book of Acts. Acts 28, 30 through 31. So this is the end of the journey. And what does it say? It says, Paul lived there. This is talking about Paul. He has now arrived in Rome, the capital of the Roman Empire, the greatest city of the world at that time. It says, Paul lived there for two whole years at his own expense, and he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. If you think about it, that doesn't maybe sound too amazing to you, but if you think about what's happened in those 28 chapters, at the beginning of those 28 chapters, there was just a handful of people, maybe a few hundred people who knew and who believed that Jesus was the savior of the world. And now you get to the 28th chapter and Paul is in the center of the Roman world proclaiming freely and telling people about Jesus. People are coming to know him by the thousands and trusting him. And the church goes forward. So that's an amazing journey that we've tracked. What I want us to do now before we jump into Acts 26, which is where we're going to be this morning, is look at uh, just a little timeline of these last few chapters. About two weeks ago, we talked about Acts 20, where Paul gave this message to the Ephesian elders. He said, hey, I'm about to go on this journey to Jerusalem. You will never see me again. Uh, so I'm saying my farewells. And uh, And so... We talked about that. Well, in the next few chapters, the last eight chapters, 21 through 28, what happens? In chapter 21, we see Paul actually traveling to Jerusalem. So he leaves the elders behind and he travels to Jerusalem and he gets there and he begins to worship. You get to the second half of chapter 21 and it says there are riots, hearings, and plots. Okay, what happens? So Paul shows up People recognize him and they say, hey, this is the guy, this is the guy who's trying to destroy our Jewish religion. And so they start a riot and they accuse him. They actually try to kill him. The Romans swoop in and rescue him, take him off to the to the barracks. And if you want some exciting reading, read through these chapters today. Uh, They take him away to safety. Uh, those people demand a hearing, they want a hearing to, to tell the, the Romans that this guy's guilty, give him back to us so we can kill him. Um, and then uh, there's all these plots to kill him, like secretive plots. And so you read these chapters, God preserves Paul's life in a miraculous way, time after time after time. You know, when you look at those three things, riots, hearings, and plots, uh, I feel like we could probably read our headlines today and see some of those things, couldn't we? So this is not the first time in history where these things have happened. And yet God says, even in the midst of political chaos, um, people chaos, whatever kind of chaos you want to call it, God says, I'm going to protect my church. The gospel is going to keep going forward, even through, in Paul's case, imprisonment um, and I'm going to keep rescuing people from the sin that would destroy them. And so we see that happening in the book of Acts. Chapter 24, Paul testifies to a guy named Felix. We're not going to talk in depth about this. Uh, Felix's name is actually Marcus Antonius Felix. So he's the governor of Judea at the time. He is corrupt as all get out. Basically, Paul goes to testify to him and say, you need to set me free. I've done nothing wrong. Well, Felix brings him out every couple months, and it tells us... Um, in verse uh, chapter 24, verse 25, it says, as Paul reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and he would say, go away for the present. When I get the opportunity, I'll summon you back. So he would say, I I don't want to hear anymore. Paul was telling him about Jesus. He felt convicted and he'd send him back to his jail cell. Look at the next verse though. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given to him by Paul. In other words, he was looking for a bribe. Okay, So a corrupt politician, uh, the governor at the time. Well, what happens next? Chapter 25, uh, the Romans every now and then would replace the governors. In fact, Pontius Pilate is probably the governor you know best. He was the governor at the time uh, of Jesus' crucifixion. He was replaced by someone else who was replaced by by Felix, who is now replaced by Festus. Festus is the guy who's the governor uh, in our story today in chapter 26. And so Paul testifies to Festus uh, in Acts 25. Now, here's the thing. You have to understand a little bit of what's going on here. The Romans and the Jews did not get along. And so the Jews uh, were always pressing the Romans to say, give us more freedom. Allow us to do what we want to do. We don't like that you're here. And so a lot of these Roman uh, Roman officials were looking for ways that they could kind of pacify and appease the Jews. And it looks like that's what Festus is doing in chapter 25. He brings, it says Festus had only been the governor for three days when the Jewish leaders show up and say, hey, turn Paul over to us. He belongs to us. And so Festus says, well, maybe I will. Let's hear about it. And uh, And Paul kind of catches on to what's going on here. And he thinks this new governor is about to turn me over to the Jews who will kill me the instant they get me. And so what does he do? It says he appeals to Caesar. You might say, well, what does that mean? What's, what's the big deal with that? Well, he was a Roman citizen. Any Roman citizen had the right to appeal to Caesar. If they didn't agree with whatever judgment was pronounced on them, they could appeal to Caesar. But guess what? Appealing to Caesar was a, a kind of a risky thing. If you go to Caesar and he says, why are you bothering me with this? Off with his head. So you don't do it unless you have a good reason to do it. Paul says, I'm going to appeal to Caesar. God has revealed to me that he wants me to go to Rome to share the gospel. And so he gets a free ticket to Rome to appeal to Caesar. That brings us to chapter 26. He's already appealed to Caesar. He's about to head off on this journey to the, to the center of the Roman world. And guess what? Uh, Festus says, hey, I've got special guests coming to see me. I want them to hear about you because I'm kind of intrigued with what's going on here. And the guests are King Herod Agrippa and Bernice, who's actually his sister. Um, and they show up, and uh, they're the, the another kind of puppet ruler in, in this area. And, and so Festus says, I want you to hear what Paul has to say so you can tell me what to do with him. He's appealed to Caesar. i got to send him to Caesar, but I'm required to write down what the charges are against him. And I don't have any charges against him. In other words, Festus says, I don't really get what everybody's so upset about, um, and so you need to help me write down what he's charged with. Because again, in the Roman Empire, if the if this governor sends a criminal to Caesar and says he's appealed to you, Caesar says, "Well, why is he appealing? I don't know. Um, off with your head!" You know. So uh, it's, it's kind of a trend in those days. So so they're trying to figure this all out. That's where we come to the, today. Uh, Paul says, "I'm going to tell my story. I'm going to share this with whoever I can." And Festus says, "Share this with Agrippa and with um, with uh, uh, um, with Festus himself." So. Here's a picture of this guy named Herod Agrippa II. So this is a bust of him. You've probably heard the name Herod, right? We're about to jump into the Christmas story. If you've never heard it, read through the Christmas story. Herod is clearly the bad guy. Now, this is not the same Herod that uh, we see in the Christmas story. This is actually Herod the Great's, I believe, great-grandson. And so he's passed on his rulership to his son, his grandsons, and now his great-grandson. And this great-grandson is the governor, or the, actually the highest-ranking official. He's actually higher-ranking than, uh, than than the governor, Festus. And so he comes and shows up, and, and here's what happens. Uh, Paul says, I'm going to share with you. So that's where we are. I want to read to you kind of this first three verses. Uh, chapter 26, verses 1 through 3. And here's what it says. Uh, This is, again, this King Agrippa, who's a client king, a puppet king, if you will. He serves the Roman Empire. Paul's going to share with him why he's on trial. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, that I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. So Paul says, I know you know a lot about the Jewish ways, the Jewish customs, so you of all people should be able to understand what's going on here. And if you think about this scene of what's happening, Paul's standing before these judges, like King Agrippa, uh, Festus, and they're going to judge of what's right and what's wrong in his case. But as this story goes on today, as we read through chapter 26, I want you to realize that Paul makes it clear that the important judge in this courtroom is not Agrippa. It's not Festus. It's not even Caesar. He says there's something more important that you're going to be judged about, and that is whether or not you've turned to the living God. His name is Jesus Christ. So Paul's journey, we're going to look at that for the remainder of our time today. Paul kind of makes five statements here in his journey, five statements that help us walk through. He says, here's my story, King Agrippa. And these five statements, I think, that kind of move the story along actually kind of challenge us as we hear the word of God this morning. And so the first thing Paul says uh, to King Agrippa is he says, I lived as a Pharisee. So he says, this is who I was before I met Jesus, before I got into all this legal problems. I lived as a Pharisee. Let's read verses four through 11. Says this, my manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by the Jews, O king. Look at verse 8. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? So he says, I'm being on trial here today because I've said that God raises the dead. And the Jews don't like that. Verse 9, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So when Paul says, I lived as a Pharisee, that's kind of a loaded term here. He says, here's who I used to be. Number one, the Pharisees were the goodest people of those days. Okay, that's not a word that you're supposed to use, right? But if you think about who's good, who's better, and who's best, in those days, everyone would have thought of the best person, the goodest person I can imagine Is a Pharisee. They do everything right. They follow all the rules. They check all the boxes. They do everything God's asked them to do. At least that's what people thought. But you know, it was all about actions and performance and doing the right things. And God has always said, Old Testament and New Testament, you can never be good enough to earn my acceptance. And that's the mistake the Pharisees made. They thought if their actions were good enough, if their performance was good enough, then God would love them and accept them. But they neglected their heart. Their heart was not filled with trust. It was not filled with love. They tried to perform. I mean, look at verse 5. It says, They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify... That according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. That's what they bragged about. We are the strictest ones out there. We are the holiest ones that you could ever find. We are the goodest. And God says it doesn't matter how good you are. And Paul says that's who I used to be. That's who I used to be. Philippians 3, 4-6. through 6, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh... I have more. And then he describes what it means. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. He was checking all the boxes. He says, I lived as a Pharisee, which means I was checking every box I thought I had to check. And yet he was broken. That's who he used to be. Paul says, I lived as a Pharisee. So what changed? What changed? That's a past tense thing. And so what I would ask you this morning is you see that quote from Paul. I lived as a Pharisee. What's your story before you knew Jesus? Maybe you still don't know Jesus. What's your story? What have you been living like? Or what did you live like before you knew Christ? Remember that because it's part of your journey Your journey towards heaven. And God says it's important to remember what I've saved you from, what I've set you free from, so that you can understand what I've set you free for through Jesus Christ. So Paul says, I lived as a Pharisee, but what changed it? Well, his next phrase in verses 12 and 13 is, I saw a light. I saw the light. Uh, Verses 12 and 13 says this. In this connection, in other words, as I was persecuting people, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. And at midday, O king, on the way, a light from heaven, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. So he saw a light. You know, uh, he said it was brighter than the sun. And it's interesting, Jesus picks up on this imagery in a lot of his teaching in the New Testament. Remember how many blind people Jesus healed? It kind of comes up a lot that he heals blind people. And I think one of the climaxes of Jesus healing a blind person is found in John chapter 9, where he heals this man born blind. And the man born blind uh, is talking to the Pharisees, actually. And they're all upset because Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. And he says, well, this is an amazing thing. I was born blind and I couldn't see anything. And yet here I am, a blind man, and I can see clearly that Jesus is the one who can save me and the one who can heal me. The blind man sees clearly. And so Paul says, I saw a light. I had to become blind so that I could see. That's exactly what happened to him in Acts chapter 9. If you read Acts 9, Miguel preached on it. I had to become blind so that I could see. I was blinded by the light so that I could see that Jesus alone saved me from my sins. And it didn't matter how good I was, how many boxes I was checking, I wasn't good enough. Only Jesus could save me. I could only be saved through his death, his burial and resurrection. So the question this morning is, have you seen the light? No matter where you come from, what you used to live like, what you are living like right now, have you seen that light? Has it been revealed to you who Jesus Christ is? John chapter 1. John chapter 1 verse 4. Talking about Jesus. It says this. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Do you know the light? Jesus wants to shine his light on the darkness of whatever sin you have in your life. And say if you trust me. I can give you forgiveness for that sin. I can remove that sin from your life, not only the penalty for that sin, but the, the lifestyle of that sin. And I can set you free. Have you seen that light? John 1.12 says, uh, But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. All you have to do to accept that light is to believe that it's him who saves you not yourself. That's what Paul did when he saw the light. He understood that Christ saved him, that the law couldn't save him, that his good actions, that his persecution of Christians could not save him. Only Jesus could save him in Christ alone. That's what the light was. And we're coming into the Christmas season. Here's another uh, passage I love. Isaiah chapter nine. Isaiah chapter nine, verse two, it says the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. This is 600 years before Jesus was born. 650 years before Paul saw the light on the road to Damascus. And God says, I'm sending the light. His name will be Jesus. Isaiah 9, 6. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. So Paul saw the light, and the light was Jesus, the light that came into the world. It's a beautiful picture that God gives us in Scripture. It's a beautiful picture that Paul gives us here when he says, I saw the light. But my question to you this morning is, have you seen the light? Have you trusted Jesus? John 3.16, we sang this song just a little bit ago. For God so loved the world that he gave us, his one and only son to save us, that whoever believes in him will live forever, will not perish, but will have eternal life. Have you believed in him? Have you seen the light? If you have, Paul says then the next thing that he did was, he said, I heard a voice. I heard a voice. This is part of Paul's journey. Uh, Verses 14 through 18. Says this, <clears throat> and when I we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, "Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads." And then I said, "Who are you, Lord?" And the Lord said to me, "I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise, stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose." to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified. Keywords by faith in me. So Paul says, I heard a voice, and that voice spoke to him and said, I want you to go. I'm giving you a task. I'm going to send you out to testify not only to Jews but also to Gentiles so that more and more people may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, and they may receive forgiveness of sins. That's the task that God gives to Paul. Paul says, I heard this voice. Um one of the amazing things about this phrase when he says, I heard a voice is that in the Old Testament, when it talks about hearing, whenever you see it says, hear the word of the Lord, uh, it's not just saying, listen to it and then go on your merry way <laughs> in scripture. When it says, hear the word of the Lord, or I heard the word of the Lord, or I heard a voice that that's like a euphemism, uh, um, a figure of speech for saying I obeyed. And we're going to see that Paul does that in just a minute. And so he says, I heard a voice. But when he heard that voice, he kind of had a choice of, am I going to listen to it or am I not going to listen to it? Obviously, he chose to listen to it. The reality is we are here today because Paul listened to that voice. In some way, God continued to build the church. And many of us are probably directly affected by Paul listening to that voice. Paul heard God's calling, his calling to go and share the gospel with all nations, share the gospel around the world. So my question to you this morning is, have you heard that voice? Have you heard God speaking to you? Have you heard him telling you, here's what I want you to do to follow me? And if you say, no, I haven't heard it, I would actually say, sometimes we don't hear that voice. And what prevents us from hearing that voice? When God says, here's what I'm calling you to do. I'm going to give you an opportunity. I want you to go and do it because you're my child. I'm going to give you a task. What prevents us from hearing a voice? You know, I think sometimes if you just think about it right now, you might not be able to hear me because there's too much noise in the room. Maybe there was if there was loud music playing, you couldn't hear because there was so much other noise. You wouldn't be able to hear me talking over that noise. So sometimes we don't hear God's voice because there's other noise. Noise that we could call distractions. Sometimes we don't hear God's voice because there are other voices that are calling out to us, right? Scripture has a lot to say about this. The book of Proverbs, are you going to listen to the way of wisdom which cries out to you? God's way? Or are you going to listen to the way of the world which cries out to you? And pursue the things that feel good and the things that you think will make you happy. God says, hear my voice. I'm going to give you what's truly good. I'm going to challenge you with a task, with eternal purpose. Sometimes another reason we may not hear God's voice is uh, sometimes you don't hear somebody calling out to you because you're sleeping, right? You're just kind of stuck there, not paying attention. God says, now is not the time for sleep. Listen to my voice. Fields are ripe to harvest. I want to give you opportunities. I want to give you tasks. Have you heard his voice and have you obeyed it? Which brings us to the next phrase from Paul in verses 19 through 21. It says, he says, I was not disobedient. So he heard the voice of the Lord and he obeyed the voice of the Lord. Let's look at these verses 19 through 21. It says this, therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but I declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God. Performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Verse 21, for this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. So he says, that's what brought us here to this day. I obeyed God. I did what he told me to do. I went out and shared the gospel with all these people. And that's why I got arrested today, because they didn't like it. I was not disobedient. That's another way of saying I was obedient. I obeyed. Look at this verse, Acts one eight. This is the commission that Jesus gave to all his disciples. He said this, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That verse, I think it was uh, verse 20. Paul basically walks through that exact thing. He says, uh, I declared first to those in Damascus. Remember, that's where he met Jesus. That's actually the city he met Jesus. Then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and then the Gentiles so that they should repent and turn to God. Paul says, I heard the voice of the Lord. I heard what he was calling me to do, and I did not disobey. I obeyed him, and I went out and followed his leading. I depended on him. Some of the things that happened to Paul can only be explained by God working through him. And God did amazing things. And then the last thing that Paul says, as in his journey, he says, this is part of my story. Not only did I obey the Lord, but I continue to this day. I continue to this day. I mean, how many times do you see pictures or examples of people in life who start out doing the right thing or start out doing what God called them to do? Or if you're a parent, your kids start out doing what you ask them to do, but they don't really finish the job. And Paul says, by God's grace, I'm continuing this day to do what God asked me to do. And I think that's a beautiful picture. In fact, as Paul obeys these people right here that you can see in this picture in this artist rendering. These people that Paul is actually talking to as he's defending himself are actually hearing the gospel he's actually being faithful in this moment to share the gospel with Agrippa and Bernice and Festus and whoever else is sitting in that room. So he's continuing to this very moment, he says, to share the gospel. Let's read verses 22 through 32 and kind of just picture this scene in your mind as he's speaking to these people. And notice also that these people have the chance to respond. They have the chance to say, oh, I believe that, or I want to believe that. I want to trust Jesus, but look at what they do. Let's read verses 22 through 32. It says, to this day, I have the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying to both small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice. So Festus interrupts him and says, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words for the king knows about these things. And I speak to him boldly for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa Verse 27, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. How do they respond? Verse 30. Then the king rose and the governor and Bernice and all those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So it's interesting. These leaders declare that Paul is not guilty. They say Paul's not guilty. He could be set free. But part of the reason I think they focus in on that is because Paul has just clearly said to them, you are guilty. If you don't trust Jesus, you are condemned by your sin. Do you want to believe this? And it says they got up and they withdrew. You know, the, the question here again is, when you heard the word about Jesus, maybe you heard it this morning for the first time or understood it for the first time, You can choose to withdraw and walk away from it like Agrippa and Festus and all the others. Or you can choose to trust it, to believe it. This is a great day to respond in faith to the gospel. You might be watching online. If you've never trusted Christ, today is a great day to respond to what Paul just said. Be set free to turn from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to God, you can be set free because of what Jesus accomplished for you. So Paul says, I continue to this day. I continue to this day. You know, a big part of that is that Paul says, I persevere. You know, think of the things Paul had to persevere through. Here's a picture. I showed you this last week. Some of you might have this in the back of your Bible. This is a picture of the missionary journeys of Paul. And look at all those squiggly lines, how he uh, traveled all over the Roman Empire. And remember, he didn't use airplanes, he didn't use trains, he didn't use cars. A lot of this was on foot, by horse, by ship, whatever you want to call it. It was painful. And he persevered on multiple different journeys to travel the known world to share with as many people as possible. The whole Roman Empire. Romans 12.12, Paul says this, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. He continued to this day, no matter what came up, it would not stop him from rejoicing in hope, being patient in tribulation. Remember, at this point, he had been in jail for two years already while that first guy named Marcus was waiting for a bribe, okay? He'd been in jail for two years. He was patient in tribulation, and he was constant in prayer. And if the book of Acts has showed us nothing else, is that when God's people pray... God does amazing work. We've seen that here in our church as well. Acts twenty twenty four, 24, Paul says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul heard God's voice. He was faithful to obey God's voice. And he proclaimed the grace of God. And then these last ones that talk about how he continued to the end. These are coming at the end of Paul's life. Paul actually writes these from Rome. When he's in jail, in prison in Rome, he was there for a couple years, awaiting trial even longer. And this is what he says to Timothy. He says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. In other words, I'm expiring. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. do you love that last phrase? Paul says, that's not just for me, an apostle. I wrote half the Bible, but it's not just for me that God's going to give that inheritance to. It's to anyone who has trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Paul perseveres to the end. You know, today we've walked through Paul's journey as he explained it to Agrippa and Festus and all those others, great and small. He says, I lived as a Pharisee, then I saw a light, then I heard a voice, and then I was not disobedient, and here I am continuing to this day. What I want us to see is that that was Paul's journey. You know, you could write your own list of things here. You could say, I used to live as a, Probably not a Pharisee. Some of you might be able to say that. But I used to be this, and then I saw the light. What's that story of how you saw the light? Paul uses this so many times. Remember, God says, I want you to be my witnesses. I want you to tell the truth about what I've done for you. Tell the truth about what Scripture says about me. And that's exactly what Paul does. He says, I saw the light. Then I heard a voice, and I was not disobedient, and I continue to this day. What I want us to realize, brothers and sisters, is that we are all part of this journey. Trinity Church is part of this journey. I think I shared with you, there's actually a ministry called Acts 29. It's a church planting ministry, meaning the book of Acts is not yet done. (laughs) There are more chapters that have yet to be written. God wants to use you, if you're his child, as a character in this story. He wants you to be faithful to what he's asked you to do. The result will be multiplication. That's what we see throughout the book of Acts. More and more people come to know Christ. What I want to do this morning just as we close here is I've actually heard over the last few weeks some really, really encouraging stories of how God continues to use you as the members of Trinity Church. And so I have a couple people who have actually shared with me during this series what God has done to use them uh, to share the gospel couple of these one uh lee manguno actually said i could share this and she said this um i've had the difficult but beautiful privilege of sharing hours with my friend and neighbor who is dying at home with hospice care the holy spirit deeply compelled me through our study of acts to share the gospel boldly and clearly with her i had asked i had asked my home group to be praying specifically for her salvation and within the next week i had the opportunity to lead her in prayer As she thanked Jesus for dying for her and he asked and asked him to save her. He has poured out his grace and his love on her in incredible ways these past few weeks as we all continue to pray for her. Praise God. Praise God. Another one, I'm going to read something. This is from Connie. Connie Lopez. She said, I recently met a lady through Marketplace. When I went to her house, I began asking questions about COVID and she seemed nervous. There's a lot of people nervous about that, right? For one reason or another. So Connie said, I asked her, do you know Jesus? She was very receptive, so I shared the good news with her. She prayed to receive Christ. Later on, I followed up with her through Marketplace, and she was willing to meet with meet for coffee. I gave her a children's Bible to help her get familiar with Bible stories, and I also shared a Bible app and talked more with her about the gospel. She was very appreciative and indicated that she wanted to remain friends. God gave Connie an opportunity. What I love in the book of Acts is when it says... He opened his mouth or she opened her mouth. Sometimes that's all we have to do is open your mouth and declare the truth about the gospel. God gives opportunities. There's other stories I can share with you. Another one was uh, someone else in our home group was praying for a neighbor kid. And sure enough, a week or two later, God gave an opportunity to share the gospel. And that kid prayed to receive Christ. God used the prayers of that home group. He used the faithfulness of that person to share the gospel. And people are still being saved. Transferred from the domain of darkness, turning from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Praise the Lord that he's using our church these days and think and pray about how he wants to use you. And if we think about the the book of Acts, God said there's one church and I'm giving one mission to that church. And that is to preach and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only way that people can be saved for there's salvation and no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. But the name of Jesus. Will you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this journey, this journey through the book of Acts. And even more importantly, Lord, we thank you for the journey that you've invited Trinity Church on to build your church. God, I pray that you would use each individual here to go out, to open our mouths, to share your gospel and the good news so that more and more would come to know you for eternity. Father, it's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, that we pray and give you thanks. Amen.